Hey Highland, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. I am Matt Pinson. With me as always is David Sessions. Say hello, David. Hello. Hello. Today we are talking, I could really feel my Texas come out in that today. I don't know if you... Today. Today. Uh, <laughs> today we are uh, talking to one of Highland's partners in Brazil. We're going to get to talk to Mark Kaiser. Learn a little bit about what is going on with, I'll say the English version because I will butcher the Portuguese version. Yeah. Uh, Clean Growth, the the home that they run there for uh, their neighbors and people coming out of rehab facilities and lots of other people, as we'll learn. Yeah, and Portuguese, uh, I'm going to try it. I'm going to get it wrong, but I'm going to try it. It's Crescimento Limpo, which is, as you said, clean growth. Mm-hmm. But we often call it CL, and uh-huh. Island has been supporting CL for... Many years now. Yeah. I admire your courage. Thank you. I am learning Portuguese, or eu estou aprendendo português. So we hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Mark Kaiser. Mark and Ali um, are, well, Ali, many people at Highland know, is the daughter of Phyllis Nenton Arkansas. Uh, she spent some growing up years here at the Highland Youth Group, and uh, now uh, they are all serving the E2 church and the people of E2. And... Uh, We've got Mark here, and what we really want to hear from Mark is kind of the story about CL, the the halfway house. And Mark, I think a lot of people at Highland know that Highland supports the halfway house, but I think probably quite a few folks don't know the story of all how all that came about. So, if you don't mind, would you just kind of tell us how how that it started that you are um, managing, running, um, inviting folks to a uh, a clean living halfway house? Sure, I'd love to. And first, I'd just like to say um, thank you for for the opportunity to tell the story and to kind of reconnect um, with Highland and and help Highland to accompany the story because this is a story that Highland has um, really since the beginning helped us to live and develop and encouraged us in. Um, There's a lot of kind of points along the way where you, um, it's hard to know if you're going down a story that God is going to use or not, if it's got more of you in it or more of God in it. And um, Highland has been a presence that has encouraged us, um, let us know that they see God in it, and um, and given us the resources to keep going, which has helped us to understand that we're not alone in this, that God's with us in this, and, and so I'm thankful. So Ali and I, went, we moved to Brazil in 2007. Um, we came with the original understanding and original desire um, to work with the youth and see how else God would lead us. That was original request from the church here in E2, um, that we would help them develop a youth group. And um, weekly, we would have a lunch at our house and invite friends of mine from jiu-jitsu, some friends from church, from some friends from you know, kind of wherever, and it was fun and, and we enjoyed it and it didn't have a, a lot of purpose. And one day we kind of thought, okay, what if we just invited people that wouldn't have anywhere else to have lunch? And so we live pretty close to the bus station and that's a, kind of a, a central point for the homeless population really in any city. And so we drew little maps from the bus station to our house and um, invited people over for a free lunch. and. In the beginning, people got those and kind of smiled, and, and um, 
it took a few weeks before people started coming and, and one guy came kind of on his own um, and cried the whole way through lunch. I mean, he'd had a good bit to drink and so he wasn't really an emotionally uh, stable point, but he, he was really touched and, and cried all the way through lunch and then asked if he could bring more people. And, um, and then the next week there was, I think around 20 people there and, and then it wow. consistently um, people came and they told us, we, we were afraid that you guys were a, a uh, cop trap where where like the police were using this as a place to gather the homeless kind of and and so the guy that that came a little bit tipsy he was kind of like the the uh we'll throw this one and see if it comes back <laughs> wow. and then him coming yeah. they they figured they could trust us so we did these homeless lunches on a regular basis um one of the first transitions that we did there was in the beginning we were doing it all for the the individuals who would come and in a trip to the U.S., we went by City Square um, and talked to Larry James, who, who said, everything you're doing is for them. You need to see how you can work with the individuals you're looking to serve. And so early on, we, we kind of had a, a, a week where we said, OK, we've really enjoyed doing these lunches with you, um, but this is going to be the end of lunch in this format. We would like to keep doing lunches with you. And so if you would like to come back next week, uh, we'll wait for someone to come to start cooking. And then um, whoever comes, we'll, we'll cook with you. Um, we'll need some help to, to we made the, the, the bathroom available for showers and, and washings. We'll need some help from someone to clean after that also. Um, we would like to do a lunch with you if, if you would enjoy doing that. And they loved that. And, and so that really became the um, method of those lunches, but really something that has followed us ever since and kind of formed our story. Um, and then they started also individuals asking um, to get into drug rehab clinic. Um, Roberto, Alemón, uh, Du were some of the first guys that asked for help getting into drug rehab. And I started going on a weekly basis to a local drug rehab clinic and I'd spend a night there and teach a, a Bible study. And when they were coming, it, it was it was really good, very for, um, formational. Um, but then the guys would leave and have nowhere to go, and so they'd fall back into the streets. Um, in the beginning, one of the first guys actually took him to his dad's house, um, and I'd let him know earlier that we were going to be coming that day, and and um, but it was just too much. And you know, his dad had a lot of reason that it was too much, but it was just too much. And so we took Eduardo, was his name, into our home. And he lived with us, and, and I kind of worked with him, helping him build a working lifestyle, um, helped him get a job. And um, then the first day that he went to work, he, he didn't come back. And when he came back, it was 3 o'clock in the morning, and he was just crushed. And he just said, yeah, I, I can't do this. This isn't for me. Um, and, and I think I realized that he'd never, from, from rehab to that point, he'd never had a place that was his to start over in. And um, that, that was, of the days where you kind of feel God's calling and, and God's um, demand in your life, that, that was one of the major days of my, of my life where I, I realized a calling 
to create a, a place where restoration was fully possible. Because I, I felt that I was seeing guys who were convinced that it was not possible on the streets. They'd go to rehab, they changed their lives, they'd, they'd learn a, a new way of life, then they'd come back to, to the streets to be reminded that, no, no, it's really not possible. And that there had to be, if we as the church were going to say, you can live a new life, then we had, as the church needed to be willing to walk them all the way through and not send them down a dead-end street of recovery. And so I realized that that meant creating a, a, a home that was for these brothers and sisters, where once they'd made the decision to, to move away from alcohol and, and drugs, and I say when they'd made that decision, because there were a lot of places that were able to accompany well until that point, but there was no place that would accompany from that point until they could actually get their feet under them. And so if the church was going to inspire them and, and send them down that road, then the church needed to make sure that the church was willing to walk with them at that point. Um, so that, that's what's in, what inspired Casa Crescimento Limpo, so that, the house of clean growth, um, which is the name of our nonprofit here in E2. And because of that, ever since 2011 was when we established CL, is the acronym for it. Um, we've held, we've operated a, a house where individuals can come either straight off the streets if they're not in active addiction, or from drug have rehab drug rehab clinics, um, to be accompanied through the process of learning a working working rhythm, getting a job, and um, saving and, and preparing to live an independent life. And so that's the, the, in a nutshell, what CL offers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, you've also uh, accepted um, refugees during political crises. And um, yeah, talk about that a little bit if you don't mind. Yeah, we have. And that's kind of accompanied different world phases also. We've received from Haiti um, we've received from Syria, we had an individual from Chile, and now we have a lot of individuals from Venezuela. Wow. So, yeah, and that leads to this other question, which is, you know, in the States, folks may have an, um, a concept of what a halfway house is. I don't know what normal halfway houses are in, in Brazil, but uh, CL is really unique, and it's really uh, holistic and... Um, uh, cares about the restoration of the whole of the whole person, and and I've gotten to see that when I've visited. Uh, but would you talk a little bit about like what you're trying to do? Right, it seems like you're doing trying to do so much more than just to get them clean. So what's yeah. the process, and what are you guys trying to do with the the folks that are living with you? Um, yeah, it is a lot more than getting them clean. Um, you know, family is a incredible incredible gift that God has given us because family accompanies us through a lot. And when someone doesn't have the benefit of family, then it's, it's not a one-dimensional type of help that lacks. Um, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot that goes into learning how to be, learning how to be a functional adult. And um, so that, that kind of is the role that ends up falling to CL as, as individuals don't have that. 
Um, so if, let me kind of flesh it out just by giving some examples of, of what we do. Um, part of our story in the halfway house, we, we would receive people in and we have a, a counseling room and we'd sit down with them. And um, it's very, like I said, it's very one, one dimensional when it's sitting on the couch, I'm asking you questions, you're giving me answers. Um, and so I realized we just need a lot more um, connections with the individuals that we're working with. And we need to, to work with them as they're happy, as they're sad, as they're tired, as they're energized, as they're ma mad. Um, and so I decided I, need, I needed a, a place where I could work shoulder to shoulder. And it seemed to me like a really good way to do that would be a garden. Because a garden is kind of something that people can step in at any level. Um, at any kind of physical capacity, there's something you can do in, in a garden. Um, and so I, I found a lot close to us and asked the owner if I could develop a um, therapeutic garden there. And he was really excited hearing what we do and, and actually said, give me today to let the person know that I had already set up an arrangement with that I'm not going to work with him because I'd rather work with you. Um, and so we started this garden in the city um, as a means just to work with those individuals who, who come with what come to work with us. And um, that allowed us to kind of sweat it out with our, with our friends, work with them for a full day, um, talk with them about, you know, what their expectations are um, just throughout the day as, as we work with them. Um, and then also allowed us to create jobs and to be able to help people learn how to deal with finances, accompany them as they're in that process. Um, one of the rules of the halfway house is that as you get a job, a third of your income you put in a savings account in your own name. So it's a way that they pay rent to themselves. Yeah. Um, they they learn to live on less than what they make and and. Um, and so the, the Cafella, um, okay, so I, I skipped ahead. That garden ended up, um, we ended up working with a guy who had an experience in restaurant and, and we realized selling lettuce is not ever gonna be a sustainable project for us. We weren't gonna be able to. And so I said to Viney, who was one of our residents, what do, why don't you wanna work with a, res, uh, with a restaurant anymore? And he said, well, the restaurant was really connected to my alcohol use and my cocaine use, and it was something that was normal there. I said, what if we start a place that's not? And, and he said, and I kind of threw around some ideas with him, and he said, that would be really good. And so in that garden, we built a little kitchen and started making some salads and sandwiches and juice. And um, with our residents, we developed a restaurant where we're able to receive in the community. And we have we've 11 full time jobs that have been created out of that place. And um, Ali directs the Cafella. Um, we call it the Cafella because it's a mix up of cafe and chapel. And so uh, chapel in Portuguese is capella. And so throwing in cafe, it's Cafella. Um, but it's, it's this way of kind of creating uh, more traction in the, in the lives of those that we're working with 
and just developing out a fuller understanding than just don't drink. You know, it's it's a, a place where we, we kind of get enough room into their life to help the, help individuals um, develop a more a, a more realistic living style, but also where they're not just being helped. It only exists because they bring so much to it. You know, it only worked because I had uh, one of my residents that had restaurant experience and wanted to bring that. So they're able to to look at that place and, and know that it's not just a place where they were served, but it's an incredible place that they created. And so yeah. it gives them a lot of self-respect as well. Yeah, and that was one of my one of my first questions is, um, you know, you talked about that experience with Larry James and City Square and, and the move to doing things for people to doing with them. And I guess my question is like, what if we just didn't assume that we both agree that that was a good virtue? Like, why with? What's What's good about doing with instead of for? Yeah. As long as you do for, you're always the hot shot. And I mean, if it's about us, I don't know, that, that's just really empty. And that's what it ends up being when you're always doing for, you know? Yeah. And um, I, I think when we start doing with, we allow them we, we allow our, our friends that we're working with to be the heroes of their own story. And, and they get to kind of see how God is, is equipping them to um, not just be the one being served, but to, to live as a child of God that has his own strengths and has his own capabilities and is able to, to offer uh, strength to the world. Um, as long as you're doing four, it's always you that that's the strong one that's coming and bringing everything that's needed. And they're always coming and looking up to you and, and just waiting for what you'll dole out. Um, when you, when you work with, you build a partnership and you see that you see, you you allow yourself to be replaced. Also, you, you allow them to get to the place where they can carry this amazing thing that God is doing on their own. And they can they can carry it on to others without your presence need be. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that uh, that I love about that story of from the lunch to the to CL to the Cafella is uh, one of the things that we've talked about uh, before is that that tension of wanting to do something big and great for the kingdom and then also just to love the person who shows up in front of you. And I think what that story tells me is what God can do when you choose to just love the person that that's in front of you. And uh, I don't really have a question there, but that's just, that's, just what, that's just what that story makes me think of is what we were talking about last week. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And I mean, one of the things that that speaks to with us as well is, you know, just the, the importance of... Um, Knowing the deeper story of those that that God brings to you, um, you know, with our homeless lunch now, one of the things that I always tell my volunteers. So one of the things that we've worked on is, is not just volunteers don't come just to make the the sandwiches and the juices. Um, they come to sit down at the tables and hear the stories also, and um, part of the intimidation factor for a volunteer of saying, I'm going to invite those who are coming in 
to make the sandwiches is I, I lose my job and I don't really know what I'm doing here. And, and I, I, I kind of, I, I don't know if I want to come if I'm just feeling like I don't have a function. And so I've tried to really sell the function of being a knower of names and being a knower of stories. And so come and invite, invite our friends to make the, the sandwiches and learn their story, learn their names. Um, maybe you're not even the one who's accompanying the person who's making sandwiches. Maybe you're not eating in the kitchen anymore. That's, that's great. Sit down at a table, have a coffee, and learn stories. And that's, that's a tremendous function. Wow. Um, I, I think uh, along with what you're saying, you have even kind of pivoted now, and I'll, I'll say this in a way that you can tell the story instead of me saying it for you, uh, but uh, pivoted now to inviting E2 to do that very thing where um, correct me if I'm wrong, but now, uh, because of the location of the Cafella that there's sometimes now people in the, in the legal field that are, um, coming and, uh, being served by people that they're even maybe litigating or representing in court. And so I'll, I'll, I'll phrase this question. I want you to tell that story in this way. <laughs> uh, you have, Mark, you talk about, um, you talk about being a, a, a knower of names and that being the job. And uh, it seems like you guys have even transitioned now to inviting the rest of your city to participate in that ministry with you. Yeah, that's true. And that's a good volley. So I'll, I'll take that. Um, so the, um, an interesting thing of, of being next to the forum, like you said, is, is that we receive a number of the individuals that are involved in the putting away of this um, this demographic of society, um, so a lot of our individuals have been to jail, and it's the individuals of the forum or of the courthouse that um, send them to jail. And those individuals of the courthouse are also our a lot of our main clients. And early on, that was the the story of one of our friends who was working at the cafe. And she actually had a, a um, what do you, what is the word? Uh, she was no longer allowed to be close to her family because that order had, had been made that she, she needed to, to stay away. Um, and it was interesting, as she worked with us, I started seeing her mom show up on occasion, which had actually, she, her mom had been the, the one who had um, most recently um, sent this friend of ours to prison for not following that order. And, but her mom started realizing that there was something different and coming close and, and, um, a, and frequenting the cafe. And then I remember a day when um, she welcomed one of the officials from the forum and, and sat them down. And then in a couple minutes, welcomed her mom at the, at the door of the cafe and sat her mom down with this official from the from the courthouse and then went back to work and let them talk and um, that was a meeting where her mom was seeking counsel to uh, relax this order and be able to have contact with her daughter again and and then the subsequent process was her mom helping to um, bring her uh, our friend's daughters, her mom's granddaughters, back to be able to live with them again. 
And so it was just this amazing story of, um, you know, there's this section of, of society that generally um, brings the consequences and ends up having our, our friends have to be removed from society. And um, a trust being built by our friends serving that individual uh, to where that individual was kind of was ready to help in the process of that uh, family restoration. And, um, and, and beyond that also, our larger church has really grabbed onto the ministry of CL as their own. And, and so um, on Sunday mornings, we do our, home, our breakfast for the homeless at the Cafella. And um, often, well, I'll just say it's, it's not run by the staff of our organization. It's run by the volunteers of our church. And it's this tremendous mixture of volunteers from our church, um, current and pre- previous halfway house residents who work together to receive in the homeless and let them know that you can have coffee, you can have a sandwich, and you can have a new story if you want it to. And that's a place where every week um, our current and previous residents um, get to share their testimony, get to just say a prayer, um, hear testimonies of our church members. And so it, it's a tremendous place of kind of losing our separateness and falling yeah. into there is no them, there's only us, and really working together as a, a common group of just us. Yeah. So, Mark, I think one thing I, I, I just keep striking me in your story um, is you and Allie's continually, continual willingness to be inconvenienced. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, like, it even starts with, um, you know, saying, okay, we're going to change this lunch that we're having with our friends and uh, we're going to invite people in that we don't know. And uh, the first time they come, they're pretty drunk. And uh, we're going to let them use our showers. And uh, then we're even going to change. And not even uh, we're leaving giving up control to do it with them. Sure. So my question is, what makes you want to be so inconvenienced all the time? And like, what, what's, what's in this for you? Yeah, that, that was a, a question. People were, you know, concerned for our safety at some points, uh, concerned for maybe our sanity at some points. Um, and, and you know, would ask questions of um, things getting out of control. And sometimes, sure, uh, I mean, it, for the amount of time that we received the um, this, you know, whoever would come in our home with the intensity of the stories involved, it was pretty impressive the how little was actually stolen <laughs> from our home. Um, and that ends up being part of it. Um, and it, it, you, you absolutely do have to come through. And when I say little, it was really little. Like we had a, some meat stolen from our freezer. So what, you know? Um, and, and I think there was a understanding of there is a very large thing going on here in terms of 
um, really connecting on a soul level to individuals that we as the church are really missing. Um, And what a small loss to lose some things in the process. Um, It does not compare with the, the benefit that we were able to live in the kingdom through those lunches. Another, sometimes you have to be really careful about being okay with the other person, like being okay with a loss that's not yours. And one of the, the pretty real um, sacrifices that, so we live in community. Um, yeah. my, my wife and now our, our boys live, we have, um, today we have Bruninho, Ana, and Deborah, um, three other adults that, that live with us for the sake of living kingdom together. And that was the case then as well. And we lived in a smaller house where the garage had been made into a bedroom. And so Deborah was living in the, the garage bedroom and an individual from the church who's a um, podologist, she cares for feet. Um, she offered to come and, and do pedicures of the homeless. And, uh, on a, and so we first set her up in our garage, which is Deborah's bedroom. And so Deborah would find um, toenails of the homeless around her bedroom for a while. And, and, um, and so I, I have to be careful about like, oh, that's okay. It wasn't my bedroom, you know, it's, it's hers to say that's okay. And it was impressive to me also to see how it, it wasn't just us that was living this ministry because Deborah also was really able to say, no, this, this is good. This is a worthwhile, we found a better place to do the, the uh, pedicures so, so, so she wouldn't have to keep, um, you know, there are some rookie mistakes that you make. Um, and, but we found a, a, another area in our home and it was amazing to also just be able to see this church member who lives a ministry of caring for feet, be able to yeah. continue living that ministry of caring for the least of these, caring for their feet in a way that allowed them to realize their great worth. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for when you serve the least of these, you really open up a lot of opportunity for we, the church, to bring whatever skill we may have to serve individuals that are not served. And, um, you know, may, may, they, may those that are not served well feel that they are receiving luxury and, and that may that be a testimony to them that your life is a life of great worth and and may that be something that our church gets to participate in um so yeah there was there were some times when we took some hits and there was some times when security was dubious and so i think there's there's things that we learned about how to keep things secure as well in our our home um god cared for us in a way that we couldn't have guaranteed for ourselves um i think that's often what the the kingdom is about also is realizing that you don't need to guarantee everything for yourself and um any losses that we faced were really nothing literally nothing compared to the incredible work that we were able to see 
God do. I mean, you, you talk a lot about restoration and you use that word uh, in a way, Mark, that like you really believe it. And you, you talked about how <laughs> you uh, you want the church to have uh, not only a, a vocal message of restoration, but you want the, the church's actions to be leading folks to restoration. Um, if you don't mind, just kind of like in your own story, in your own life, what makes you think restoration is possible? I mean, you're putting a lot of your life and a lot of uh, at stake because um, it seems as though you believe restoration is uh, possible and worth it. So what what experiences of that have you had that keep motivating you? Sure. Okay. So um, maybe I'll share a couple pieces of a couple phases of my life. Um, I'm the youngest of five kids. I was raised in Ohio. Um, my, my, uh, so the, the fourth youngest, my older brother, um, went through a really hard few years, a very dark few years in his life. And, um, and one of the things that I, um, I, I lived a, a, a good while as, as the underdog and um and you know the the kind of darkness that he lived through ends up kind of spreading around to to those that are that are around um and i remember you know i was the only one smaller than him um and so i, I took a, a lot of the brunt of that um but i in that i i learned in ways that i don't know that i can even yet enunciate um god's care for the underdog. And I learned the importance that God has for that underdog position. Um, and that really gave me a strong desire also to care for the underdog. Um, a couple years later, I, I ended up doing a gap year between high school and college. I went to Nepal for eight months. I worked, um, I volunteered with an orphanage there. And um, I did that because the only thing I really knew about school was that I hated school. And so I didn't want to go straight to college, not believing in school. I just hated school. And I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And so I didn't want to waste time in school. Um, so I, I went to Nepal to really find what God would have for my life. Um, worked in an orphanage where in not very long, I ended up realizing there was abuse problem between the director and the, um, the kids. And um, realizing that was true, and this, this is a bizarre story to tell because it, it doesn't fit. Um, I ended up being, well, let me just tell the story. Um, I, I asked my parents to send me a book on discipline. <laughs> Um, and, and one day I was on the roof of the orphanage and, and journaling and praying and I journaled asking God to make this situation blow up in front of me so that I could do something about it. And the next morning at breakfast, I ended up um, stopping the director as he was just physically beating a, a child in a way that would turn your stomach to see a dog beaten. I mean, it was, it was really hard. Um, and... So I stopped him. He, he stopped immediately. 
Um, when the kids went to school, I, I asked if I could speak to him in his office. And I'm, I'm an 18 year old kid. I have no idea. I'm, I mean, needing to change my underwear at this point. I'm so scared. Um, but I, I say, I want to continue to work with you at this orphanage. Um, but I can't sit in agreement with you with what you just did as a, a Christian. And this was a Christian orphanage. This director was teaching Christianity to the kids. And I said, if I am to stay, I would like to see you apologize to the kids tonight at dinner. Tell them that what you were doing wasn't in accordance with this faith that you've been teaching them. And start a study in, on Christian discipline with me. Wow. I'm 18 years old. I have no idea what I'm doing. And, and um, he agreed. I was sure that was going to be my last moment in the orphanage. And I was like, just saying that from a good conscience to have said that, to then be told to go make my bags and never come back. And he agreed. And he said he'd like to do that. And so we spent the rest of my time there doing this Bible study on Christian discipline nightly in, in his room after kind of the days things had, had, had passed. Um, and I came out of that experience knowing why college was important and being ready to be prepared to do things like that because I was so far out of my element. And, but God used me that far out yeah. of my element. I mean, there was, there was no reason that I, as an 18-year-old kid, should have been effective in that situation. But I, I believe that God was about restoration. And, yeah. and I'll even say it didn't change his life. Um, when I went back to Nepal in previous years, I went back to that orphanage and found that um, he was in prison at that point for abuse. Wow. And so I, I think um, maybe it was a first step towards what God was doing. And, and God took it where it needed to go. But it was also, it ended up creating a testimony within that orphanage for those kids to know that there is, there, there is a disconnect here with what they had been seeing and, and allowing a story that would lead them towards, towards something different. Um, I went from there to ACU and ended up graduating in social work from ACU as a pursuit of trying to better understand how to use in ministry this um, pursuit to bring about restoration in Christ's name. Yeah. So, so that's what wow. brought me here. <laughs> wow. And at ACU, you met... Uh... That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we, were, um, we were in a number of freshman classes together and... Um, uh, started a, a very, very good friendship. At the end of our freshman year, we um, started dating. And then my sophomore year, I moved to Chicago. So I went to, yeah, I went to Moody Bible Institute for a year. And um, she obviously stayed in Abilene. And we dated, uh, dis, uh, we dated um, from Texas to Illinois for a year. And then when I decided I, I, there was something that I really wanted to pursue further, <laughs> I moved back to Texas for my junior year um, for her to receive me and, and break up with me. And, um, <laughs> and that took a semester to figure out. And, and uh, then we got back together and ended up um, getting married at, at the uh, 
the beginning of our senior year or somewhere in there. Anyways, yeah. It, yeah. Well, I know from your mother-in-law that she is very glad uh, that you ACU was uh, first alphabetically, and that you <laughs> you chose there and and met her daughter and gave her her grandchildren that she loves. Yeah, that's right. I think that as long as it got there, they were able to forgive a whole number of sins. As long as it brought about Liam and Dom. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Well, uh, Mark, uh, we've taken an hour, and so I don't want to take much more of your time, but I really appreciate you yeah. uh, telling that story. Do you have anything else you want to ask? Or? Well, I mean, I don't know. I've talked the whole time. You have talked the whole time, and that's okay. I, I forgive you. Um, so I'll just give you a tip. <laughs> At some point, you should also do one of these with Allie and ask her about the ministry of, of the Cafella specifically. And I think she'll have a lot to say about that and about her um, work with the leadership of our church also. Um, you're, you're getting the weaker end of the stick talking to me. <laughs> well, uh, if she's up for it, we'll definitely do it. We're, we've learned that um, developing good content is uh, not easy. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Uh, it may be the most effective way to do it is for us to just go to E2 and do it live there at the Cafella. Yeah. Only bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> I like that idea too. I know we've got a lot of teenagers that are still asking us all the time. You know, is, is camp happening? Is camp happening? And we're like, they say that's trying to happen, but you know Brazil. Like they don't know when their winter break is until who knows. So, yeah. yeah, that 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 that's all true. We're we're trying to make it happen. I was uh, made contact with one of the secretaries of the city today to figure out those vacation schedules and we'll let you know as soon as we can figure it out <laughs> all right well they're looking forward to it uh mark really thanks for um thanks for the time but like also just thanks for uh being in partnership with highland and uh caring about restoration so much and yeah. uh highland benefits so much from our partnership and um uh i'm hopeful that uh, we're inspired and we learn from uh, the faithfulness that you guys have, have demonstrated and um, figure out ways to contextualize that in Abilene. It's very, very mutual. Um, something I say a lot here is, is the kingdom is always mutual. And um, my relationship with our relationship with Highland has been very mutual. So we are, I, we are incredibly blessed and encouraged and affirmed in what God is doing through our, our partnership with you. Um, I've learned so much through the, my um, relationships there, um, my trips there to Abilene and, and time with you guys. And anytime that we can serve together, be it here or there, let us know because we will um, be anxious to continue that mutual relationship. Awesome. Well, thank you, and uh, give everyone in your family a hug for us. And uh, my favorite part about this interview was trying to figure out if you would rather have something stolen or something like finger toenails left. And I think I would rather have something left. I think I would rather have something stolen. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. All right, Mark. Thanks again. Thanks. Bye, Mark. Bye-bye. Peace. Peace. Matt, um, so we just wrapped with Mark. And uh, I love that story. I love uh, how 
he talks about it in a way that it just seems like, well, we did this and then we did that and then we did that. And it's like, like obviously you would invite all the homeless people at yeah, the bus station to your house. I know. And there's some cultural things, um, like there, there are some cultural things afoot, but like, I, I always have to remind myself, but don't let yourself off the hook with that. Yeah. Because there are ways to practice hospitality that are culturally appropriate here. And I'm not doing them like the way right. that Mark and Ali Kaiser are. And it's so inspiring to hear that. Um, what, what were some of the takeaways that you heard? What are some of your favorite uh, things that Mark said? Yeah, one of the things that, that I thought about the whole time as, as we had talked about kind of got the, the notion that God works through the body of Christ. Yeah. And that when the body of Christ is willing to love the person who's in front of them, yeah, sometimes a small act can become a really big deal. And yes. that's a story of that, like, exponentially exploded. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My gosh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where they said, what if we invited these people who don't have a place to come to a lunch? Right. And then fast forward five years and the stories that have come out it's unbelievable. of that are, are incredible yeah. and can only explain by, by look at what God has done. Yeah. And it's just, it really does seem like so often they're like, well, what's the next right step? What's the next right step? Mm-hmm. And their faithfulness to just doing the next right to thing. To do the next right step. Is unbelievable. Yeah. It's inspiring. It, it truly is inspiring. So I think about like what's different between their life and my life, and I think maybe that's too dramatic, but um, I don't know many people that aren't in the Highland Church of Christ or Abilene Christian University circle. Mm-hmm. And so like, how do I put myself uh, in places to work with people? Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that right now, but I keep asking myself that. Yeah, one of the things he said in passing that I thought is maybe really key he said, and I mean, as you know, we live communally so that we can yeah, live right. together for yeah. Christ. Right. And then just blew on past to the things that they were doing. Yeah. And I think about my life and that I, I'm cocooned here mm-hmm. where I know people from yeah. church and I know people from when I was in college here that still live here. Yeah. And then beyond that, I also hardly ever am not at my house. Right. If you're not at work or with your friends, you're even at home. more insularly, I'm I'm pretty much just with my family. Yeah. And I love my family, and they're great. Yeah, they're great. But uh, but th- that living in community gives you the opportunity to to do more things and to yeah take more risks and to better each other. Right. Yeah, I think one thing that Mark said that I think, okay, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to start a uh, halfway house tomorrow, but being a knower of names is enough. That was a beautiful, a beautiful story too. Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes, sometimes we talk about our jobs here, sometimes to encourage people to get more involved. Yeah. And sometimes our job is to go like, you're doing great. You're doing great. Know the names of the people yeah. in your day. Right. Yeah. Just love the person in front of you. Yeah. Keep, but here you're doing good. You're doing everything we need you to do. Yeah. Yeah, but but be willing to sit down and have coffee and hear someone's story and know someone's name. Mm-hmm. That was super comforting for me in a way. That's yeah. Like, okay, that might be just the next right thing. You right. Know? And I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and people's people's stories are powerful. Yeah. We talk a lot about story, how yeah. important story is, and and uh, it's hard to tell a good story if you're not listening to stories. Yep. Um, and that yeah, that was that was another thing that really popped out at me, like you said. All right. Did we do it? Did we do our first interview? I think we did. I mean, we did it. We'll see if we... We'll see if it makes it into a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see if anyone ever listens to it. Well, Highland, thank you so much for uh, tuning into these. And... Uh, thank you, Mark. Yeah, thank you, Mark, for sure. For this and for so many other things. Yeah. And, uh, and we'll catch you on the next one. All right. Bye, guys.